The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. morning and I'm, I'm so uh, thankful for Pastor Scott allowing me to have these opportunities with such, such great frequency. And, um, and today we have the privilege and, and the, uh, the joy of continuing to walk through Exodus as we, have, as we have been there. So I would invite you now to go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12. We'll be um, finishing up Exodus chapter 12 and venturing a short way into chapter 13 today. As we, as we continue to march through the book of Exodus and see how God has been faithful to rescue his people and his purpose for rescuing them is that they might know him, that the nations might know him, and that, um, and that they might worship. So let's, um, let's go ahead and dive in and, and look at our passage. But before we do that, I would like to just give a brief recap of, of where the people of Israel are. And of course, we've just come out of this period of time where they, are, uh, where they have gone through the plagues and the Lord has been uh, judging Pharaoh for his disobedience and for his, his hardness of heart. And the people of Israel have been implicated in that because they've been in Egypt during this difficult time. But now it seems that they are finally about to break free from their slaveholders. They are breaking free from their captors. And it is in this context that the Lord gives them more instructions about Passover. And it seems a little strange to us. I think it's fair to say because just a couple of chapters ago, perhaps uh, even uh, really at the beginning of chapter 12, just uh, not even a chapter ago, the Lord instituted Passover and told them what it was and told them to engage in it. And now, just uh, verses later, it's like he appends or he adds this extra list of rules. And um, things are kind of strange to us, but today we're going to explore what they mean and we understand uh, what, of course, the Passover was by, by way of reflection that the, the last plague was that God, in his judgment on Pharaoh... And the, the uh, nation of, of Egypt that were holding God's people captive, he said, I'm going to send um, the angel of death. And all of the firstborn are going to be taken. All of the firstborn in the land are going to be killed. This is a dark, dark time. But we see God's love and his grace in that even when he is judging sin, he always provides a way of salvation. And he does that for all those who are believing in Yahweh, for all those who are believing in God. He says, if you will take a lamb without blemish, a lamb that is perfect and sacrifice it, spread some of its blood over your doorpost, have this feast where you eat the flesh of the lamb, the death angel will come and it will pass over your home and you will be spared, even in judgment of sin. God provides salvation for those who are having faith in him. And we see how that story, that message is continued today as we uh, consider uh, a passage here at the end of Exodus. We'll begin in verse 43 if you will uh, read along with me or, or even I would encourage you just to listen, just to hear God's word. Chapter 12, verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. This is kind of extra 
stipulations here. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have uh, circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. Uh, You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. Very important. And all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. It's to be a corporate matter. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and that very day... The Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good to us and your goodness is displayed in the history of you and of your dealings with your people. And how, Lord, your goodness is displayed in how we might look on these events and consider what they mean for us today. And and consider the reality that you have not changed. That just as you were faithful to your people to save them from Pharaoh and to bring them out of the land, that you, Lord, today stand ready to bring us, poor sinners, out of the captivity of our sin. And Lord, I pray that if there is a person or people here today, as I must believe there are, who have not yet experienced this salvation as Israel experienced a rescue, Lord, that that those people today will come to know you for who you are and to trust you as the God who saves. I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we reflect on Passover, we must see where the people of Israel are located. If you notice uh, just a few verses before this in uh, chapter 12, verse, let's say about verse 37, and the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them. So this people who, are, uh, who is leaving the, um, the, the land of Egypt does not just constitute Israel. There are some other people who perhaps saw an opportunity here who were also slaves in Egypt. And they saw the people of Israel making off for the wilderness and they saw an opportunity and said, let's join them. And this is why God has to add these extra rules. He says, uh, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. This is why God has to draw these boundary lines is because now the people who are traveling with Israel are not only Israel. There are people who are outside of the people of God. And this is a, actually a word that we must understand is that God does as much as it might offend our 21st century sensibilities, God still draws lines around who his people are and who his people are not. And I I hope that you would see the love of Christ in this because it does us no good if we are outside of fellowship with God, if we are outside of fellowship with him, for him to say that you're just fine the way that you are. It does us no good for God to do that. Our culture, of course, says, hey, whoever you are, whatever you are doing, it is offensive to say that you are ever excluded from anything. But God said, it is actually a a measure of my grace that I tell you the truth about who you are. 
that I tell you the truth, that there are boundary lines. There are people who are my people, and there are people who are not my people. And here's how you know them. And this is why this is so important. This feast that he tells uh, the people of Israel to take is a feast that talks about how defined and how definite his group of people are. He says there are some who are in, some who are out. It is a feast and a, uh, a, a moment, a, a, an act of remembrance in which they remember what God has done for them. They reflect on what that means now and they have faith for the future. Notice where they are. We have the benefit of kind of uh, perhaps many of us have read the story of Exodus before or at least heard about it, perhaps growing up. And we know that even though the people of Israel have left, kind of, that there is still a trial coming for them. That they have a salvation that is past. They have a salvation wherein they have left Pharaoh and they are venturing off into the wilderness. But we know because we, many of us perhaps have read the story that that's not the end of the story. That Pharaoh is about to come to himself. And Pharaoh is about to say, what am I doing? I can't let them just get away. This is free slave labor. And, they, and we know, and of course God knows, that these people have left Pharaoh. They have, in a sense, been saved. Because God is allowing them to, to get away, they are now being saved. But there is a coming salvation that they must experience that is future Because there will be a a day very soon where they will have an army behind them and a sea in front of them. And they will need to remember that God is still who he is now, who he was when he allowed us to leave Pharaoh. And what a word of application for us. We see when we look at Passover and what is closely related, of course, is the Lord's Supper. That we see that, yes, we have been saved from our sin. We have been saved. God calls us redeemed. He calls us child. He calls us heir. He calls us saint. But right now, we still need salvation. Because we still live in this existence where we have not made it yet. We still live in this existence where we still sin. And one day, we will need to be saved fully. One day, we will be This is why God has the people right here, I would suggest, why he has the people right here stop and take the Lord's, uh, excuse me, take, uh, observe Passover again so that they might remember that God is the same God who took us away from Pharaoh. He's the same God who is providing for us now and he will be the God who will take us through the water of judgment. And we understand these things are magnificent These things are glorious. Let's uh, let's consider also what this uh, says about uh, the the Passover supper and how it relates to the Lord's Supper. We observe this today uh, much for the same reasons that the people of Israel observed the Passover then. Because by the Lord's Supper, we get to see who is the people of God we get to see also that our God has saved us. Remember, it is a a feast of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember what our God has done for us and we hope for that final day when he will finally save us. Folks, this is why. This is why we take the Lord's Supper so seriously here because it's not just a mere ritual that perhaps could save people. It does not save. If that were the case, we should be out on the streets 
telling folks, hey, come in. Every so many Sundays, we do this thing where at 1030, you can come in and you can eat our bread and you can drink our juice and, and you'll be okay. But that's not what it is, is it? It's a feast of remembrance, remembering who our God is. And that is why it is so important that the people of God here in the Passover and when we gather for the Lord's Supper are a defined group of people. Because how can you ever remember something that you have never experienced? And how can you ever worship God based on something that has never become true of you? And this does a service for us, doesn't it? It does a service for us because how many of you, perhaps those of you who like me, grew up in church for all of its blessings and for all of its vices. One of the greatest blessings is that when I was a little kid, I remember watching those little plates pass in a, little, in a very traditional church and my parents take, take a piece of bread and take a little cup and, and my, my older sister taking a, a piece of bread and a cup and I always wondered, why, why mom, dad, can I not do that? And it causes us to consider Am I in the family of God? Have I been invited to his table? Am I part of his people? And that is why we take these things so seriously. It is a meal that a defined group today, those who are confessing Christ, shares as we remember who God is, who God uh, was, and who he will be for us. So we see in this um, in this almost offensive thing that they are doing, this rite or this uh, supper of remembrance that seems to be very exclusive. While on one hand, God says, no, there are some of you who are not welcome. At the same time, he's saying, you're welcome, come in. It's almost like he's saying, stay away, but whatever you do, please come in. And what he's saying is that there is a boundary line And there is a distinction between who is in God's people and who is outside. But here's what I want you to know is that you can come in by faith. And how we see that is through this provision that he gives to to the people who are not even part of the people of Israel. He says, no foreigner may eat of it. No foreigner or hired servant. It shall be eaten in your house and all the congregation shall keep it. But if a stranger shall sojourn with you and and would keep the Passover, let all the males be circumcised. And and of course, you know, that seems like a, a pretty high price to ask for there, particularly for adults. But the reality is that this, this outward mark of circumcision, it said who is the people of God. And if you believe Jesus, of course, not of course them, but today um, he's saying to the people of Israel, if you believe Yahweh, if you believe that he is who he says he is and you would like to become part of his people, then have faith and express your faith by doing these things. And of course, we understand this is not works-based you know, uh, salvation, what it is, is the same thing as Passover, is when you believe that God is who he says he is, you will put blood on the doorpost as an act of faith and you will be saved. And it is in that spirit that he encourages people. He says, stay away, but whatever you do, please come. There is a way to come in and I would suggest to you that it is by Christ There is a way to come into the family of God today. There is a way to be invited to his table. The song that we just sang, once his enemy, now seated at his table. Jesus, thank you. It is by Christ that you might 
be allowed in. And I would like to have the opportunity to prove it to you or to persuade you. Uh, first of all, let me, let me show you a couple of things about this feast of remembrance. And, and the first, or, or perhaps um, about circumcision of the heart. And that is that we, we kind of expect this if we have been students of the New Testament. And we see in Romans chapter 2, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. It says these outward markings, these things that you think make you right with God. No one is a Jew. No one is in the family of God who is simply one outwardly. But he says this, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision, circumcision is a matter of the heart. And I would submit to you today, you may have been baptized. You may have, as we say often, you may have walked an aisle and said some prayer But have you been given a new heart? Have you been given a heart of flesh? And we understand from Deuteronomy, he says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, that you may love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, so that you might live. We expect this, that God is doing this work, just like we understand from the book of Jeremiah. He says, one day I will take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God is not in the business of merely tweaking your morality. He is not in the business of giving you 10 steps to a better life. He's not in the business of just just doing things that are simply for you. He's in the business of transforming your life and of giving you a new heart. And then out of that new heart, your life will be better. And he does that today. He offers that today. And we see it here in his word. I would suggest to you that these things are brokered by Christ. But how do we know this? How You might be asking, how do I see Christ in the Passover? Well, let's look at what it says here. He's talking about this lamb, it shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house and you shall not break any of its bones. I want to suggest to you that John chapter 19, verse 31, let me just just hear this. Just hear what this says. Of course, talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Since it was the day of preparation... And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross in the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting how the Pharisees, even when they killed the Son of God, wanted to obey the law? Since no bodies would remain on the cross on the Sabbath, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away to speed up the death process. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Just as the Israelites in the Passover had to have a perfect lamb, a lamb without blemish and whose legs were not broken in Christ, we have the perfect lamb. We have the true and better Passover sacrifice in Jesus who came in the the person of Jesus Christ in human flesh who lived the perfect life, making himself the true and better unblemished lamb, who lived the perfect life that you should have lived for God, that we can't live for God, who died the death that we deserve, and that now stands ready at the right hand of the Father to say, whoever calls on my name, they are okay. 
And this is the God that we serve. When we hear, when we hear God commanding the people at the Passover to eat of the flesh, don't we hear echoes in the back of our mind of Jesus saying, I am the true bread. Eat of my flesh and you'll have life. These hard sayings that drove many of his disciples away because people didn't understand how are we supposed to eat his flesh? He's saying, I am the Passover lamb. I'm the only one who can perfectly take away the sins of the people. And if you would eat of me, you can have life. This is who we serve. So friends, let, let, me, let me implore you, come to the table through Christ. Are you seated at his table? There is only one door. Jesus said, I am the door. There is only one door and that door is through Christ. I am the bread of life. Eat my flesh. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. This is our Jesus. And he invites you today. The reason I would suggest that Moses said that only those having faith in God were welcome to the Passover is the reason today that we say the believers in Christ only should take the Lord's Supper because both of these meals point toward a meal that you and I don't have any control over. And that meal is pictured in Revelation chapter 19. And, and again, you can turn there if you like, but I would encourage you just to listen just to listen to these words in Revelation chapter 19. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It would be possible, I suppose, for the people of Israel to just do the Passover supper as a ritual. I don't know. I know that it's possible for us today to come to the Lord's Supper with a wrong heart. But we will never be able to pull that off at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because only those who come to the table are those who have been invited. And only those who are invi- and, and the only ones who are invited are those who come through Christ. Because he is the perfect lamb. He is the perfect Passover lamb. We're supposed to remember these things. Notice what it says in in chapter 13. I would draw your attention to just a couple of things as he continues to give these rules about the unleavened bread. It says seven days, in verse six, chapter 13, verse six, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast of the Lord. Verse eight, you shall tell your son on that day. It is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This supper, this Passover supper, and I would suggest the Lord's Supper is to be a supper of remembrance for what God has done where we get to tell our kids, we get to tell our young ones who our God has been in history, who he has been for us, who he is now, and who he will be for them 
if they will have faith in him. Verse 14, and when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Verse 16, it shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes for by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. God does these things. I would encourage you, if you have not begun this yet, as we march through Exodus, every time you hear the phrase, that they may know that I am the Lord, just underline it. And when we get done with Exodus, you're gonna see that, that like half of the book of Exodus is underlined that way. Not, of course, that's, an exaggeration, but everything God does in Exodus is that you may know, that the nations may know that I am God or that I am who I say that I am. And teach it to your children. The reason I would suggest that we are supposed to teach these things to our kids and remember them ourselves in the Lord's Supper is because we so easily forget. Why does God command us? To, to come and partake of the Lord's Supper so frequently is because so frequently we forget. I, I would suggest that, that losing spiritual knowledge happens at like a rate that is at least 10 times faster than losing math or golf or, you know, how to do the perfect whatever in sports. That we, we forget, as Pastor Scott said a week or two ago, we are in a constant state of amnesia and deja vu. Forgetting what we learned and learning what we forgot. The spiritual knowledge is different from any other kind of knowledge. So we must continually remind ourselves. And let me encourage you. I'm not a parent. I'm not a parenting expert. But what I know is what the word of God says is that we must teach our children these things. Never underestimate the power of God's symbols to teach your children what they must know about who God is. Never underestimate the power of his symbols. When they look at Passover, they might be like me, little Greg, sitting in a pew somewhere in North Carolina wondering, what does this mean? Does this, does this mean something about me? When they see baptism and they see someone pictured as, as dying to their old self and being raised to walk in newness of life, that pictures are so powerful. When they see the picture of your marriage, it's so powerful. Never underestimate the power of God's symbols to do his work. Let me encourage you with, with just a few words. There are things that I believe this means for us. There are things that we must do to apply this, this, uh, these principles. And first of all, let, let me encourage you to teach your family tirelessly who God is. Teach him tirelessly what he has done that they may know. Teach them tirelessly. God gave us these pictures for a reason. To my brothers and sisters in Christ, let me encourage you, make yourself low today. God has this purpose that they may know that he is expressed in us through the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Let me encourage you today to make yourself low. What might you sacrifice what might you sacrifice that you might give, that you might go, and that you might pray that the nations may know? What might the Lord be calling you to do today? Whatever you do, teach these things to your children. Don't let the sleepy Sunday mornings get in the way. Don't let the, don't let the travel team get in the way. Don't let the 
Don't let the video games get in the way of your children know, knowing who God is. Why? Because we never graduate from it. We so easily forget. And lastly, I must believe that there is one here today, or there are some here today who have never come and taken a seat at the table. Let me encourage you to see who God is, that he is a God who has saved, who is saving, and who will save. And it is his will that you might be involved in that purpose. It is his desire that you should not perish, but that you should come to know him today and that you would see him for who he is, that he is a God who has taken on flesh and who has become for you the perfect Passover lamb. There is no work left for you to do because it has been finished in Christ. Let me encourage you to look on him today. There is no blemish in him. Do you see him? His legs have not been broken. Will you eat of him? And he will be yours. Do that today. Pray with me as we finish. Lord, your word speaks to us and even through the mouth of a imperfect messenger like me, your word accomplishes your purposes. The word of God accomplishes the purposes of God. And and Lord, may it continue to do that work among our church. May it do that work today, God, in the heart of the one who knows that they have tried to come to you through different means. They have tried to please you. They've tried to be a good person, a good husband, a good wife, and and to boost their self-esteem or whatever the case may be. But they have never come through the door that is Jesus. They have never eaten deeply of who you are, of the body of Christ. They have never drank deeply of your blood that it might be applied to them. Lord, these things seem so technical and and they seem like churchy language, but the reality is that whenever there is sin, there needs to be blood and there needs to be a sacrifice. And you have come to be that sacrifice for us and to provide the perfect blood that we need to be made right as sinners in front of a holy God. I pray that you would move strongly on the heart of those who do not know you perhaps and that even today they might come forward and make public in front of people who will with them rejoice that you have called yet another one of us poor sinners to life. I pray you'd do that today as we continue to worship in the name of Christ. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.